This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. You're invited to join us at our worship assemblies each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning uh, along the lines of a lesson that I heard way back in college, and I... I'm not going to pretend that I could remember everything about that lesson. This Mine probably is, doesn't even uh, mirror that one at all. But the thing that came out of that lesson that stuck with me for several years now is that the things of this world set us up for disappointment. When we think about the things of this world, the things that we have at our disposal, the things that we incur in this world, they set us up for disappointment. They can't accomplish the thing that typically we look at them to do for us. And we're disappointed by that. So we got to understand that the things that we have in this life, we have to keep them in perspective if they're to, to have the purpose that God intended for us. And before we go too far into this subject matter, it's important we recognize something. Our purpose for being here today is to glorify God, and we want to do that. And as we go through some of these things, it, can, it, can, it may seem that we're being ungrateful for our blessings. And I don't want that to be the message at all this morning. I want you to understand that that's not my point at all. But the things that we have in this world are inherently unfulfilling in the grand scheme of things. Let's look at a passage I think lays out our lesson this morning really well. Uh, if we look in 1 Samuel 12, verses 21 through 24. Here Samuel speaks to the children of Israel. After all they'd been through and all they'd asked, they had been through and asked for, now they wanted a king. And they're told here that God is your king. You have a king. It's God. Yet they still wanted a king. And Samuel points out that what they're asking is not what they think that they're going to get. And as he goes through, he says, as long as you keep the commandments of the Lord, then they and the king can continue to follow God. And as we go into the end of the chapter, I want to notice some direction that Samuel gives these people. Because I think it's applicable to us today. In 1 Samuel 12, verses 21 through 24, it says, And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you this people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth and in all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. you know, this direction that Samuel gives them, it applies to us. Because we look at the things that he gives us and they can't be fulfilling to us in an overall picture of our lives. They're not designed to do that. They can't do it. And as we think about the things that he's done for us, it's very important that we keep that in mind as we look at these things. With all the distractions we have and the disappointments we experience, think of this passage. You know, here in a moment, we'll, we'll observe the Lord's table. That's part of what we do at that time, is think about all that God's done for us as we observe that. Remember, his blessings only enhance our lives as we keep them in perspective. They have to have their priority, or they won't meet the intention that they had. 
And remember all the things he had done for us as we go through this. So now that we've clarified this and understand this is not a complaining session. It's not a complaint of the blessings we've been given. It's that they just can't fulfill many times of what we think they are. Let's start with a, with a definition of disappointment. It says sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. You know, when I read that, you know, the word that comes to my mind many times is entitlement. That's become a bad word. You know, we, we think about different groups of people and think, well, they're just entitled. And they think because who they are, what they've done, or the position they hold, they're entitled to certain things. And we look at that, and sometimes we place that, that label on maybe some of the younger generations. They're just so entitled, they think everything should just come easy to them. But you know, disappointment's that way. When we've experienced disappointment in our life, it's because something has fallen short of our expectations. And when we think about those things, and we think about what this could do for me in my life, if I just had this, or if I just had that, and then we obtain whatever that is, and it falls short of what our expectation was of that, what do we end up? We end up disappointed, don't we? We feel unfulfilled because what we thought was the be-all and end-all to our lives turns out not to be what we thought it would be. And so disappointment overcomes us. I knew a guy one time, you know, he was a guy that tended to, to live in the past just a little bit. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say that he didn't have some disadvantages. And when he was younger, he had, he had moved out to Florida with his father. They moved the family out there. His father was, uh, what I could tell, a very accomplished engineer. He worked for McDonnell Douglas, you know, one of the companies that if you were an engineer, that's someplace you would, you would want to be. Because if you worked for that company, it meant you had accomplished something. It meant you were somebody in your field. And they went out there, and when he was just not too old at all, I'm going to say eighth or ninth grade, his father passed away. And they ended up, his mom moved the family back into Texas, closer to other family. And that was something that he dwelled on a lot. He looked at that and said, you know, I just often wonder what would have happened if, we just, if I could have stayed in Florida what would my life be like now if I could have just stayed out there? But you know, if you look at this man's life, he was a good man. He wasn't in prison. He wasn't a drug dealer. He wasn't a murderer. Now, he may not have been an engineer like his dad was. He may not have held some fancy office or had some title. But he was an accomplished man. But he always dwelled in that. And he, we were talking about that one day. And he, and he started down that road. He said, you know, I just really wish, I just wish I knew what would have happened if I could have stayed in Florida. And, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, you didn't end up in all of these lists of things. You didn't end up a murderer. You didn't, you're not in prison right now. You're not incarcerated on a life sentence for something you could have done out there. But, you know, when he looked at that, all he could see was that was the answer to what he felt was missing in his life. We look at disappointment. We think about things that we've done in our lives. We think about things that we haven't done. Well, opportunities we felt like we've missed. And sometimes that's not the answer. 
It's not what we think it might have been had we incurred those things. You know, our expectations are much higher than they really should be on a lot of these things. Because we're looking at things that might not change our lives in the way that we think they ought to. When we put our hopes and expectations on things of this world, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because we're expecting them to do things that they were not designed to do. The things of this world can't deliver on that promise. You know, let's look at a man that knew more about the things of this life than any of us could ever know. Let's look at Solomon. You know, Solomon was a unique individual. And when he came to be king, God asked him what he wanted. And he said, give me wisdom and knowledge that I can lead your people. And that pleased God. And so we pick up in 2 Chronicles 1 and 11 to see God's response to that. And, he said, and God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee. And I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee. Neither shall there any after thee have the like. You know, you could say that this man was set up for success, couldn't you? And it was because he didn't have his own best interests in mind. He wanted to be the leader that God would have him to be. And he wanted to put those things into perspective and give things their priority. And so God blessed him. He blessed him with all the things that you could imagine that a king might need. And probably the most important things he was given was knowledge and wisdom. But through the knowledge and wisdom, Solomon was able to see a lot about this world and how it really was. And he wrote page after page how things of this world couldn't fulfill man. And when we look at those readings, we see it's ingrained and it's something that he, he dwelled on. And after he tried everything imaginable to, his, to fulfill his heart, he realized that God was the only true thing that could fill that void. That was it. He had it. He had everything that we could have imagined. And he realized God was the only thing that could fulfill him. Let's read some of his writings. In Ecclesiastes one, uh, chapter 1, We'll take some readings from there. Yeah, this chapter seems to be like an overall evaluation of life in general given by Solomon. As he looks over those things. And it doesn't address money directly. But we can't talk about Solomon without talking about wealth. Because he had massive wealth. Wealth unimaginable to any of us. And so we'll talk about that for a little bit. Let's begin in Ecclesiastes 1 verses 3 through 5. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away. And another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. Now let's think about this for a second. You know, our jobs are important to us, aren't they? And rightfully so. I mean, I think we have teachings along these lines that teach us we should work as if we're working under the Lord. If a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. We've, we've got those teachings. That tells us it's important that we do those things. But what priority do we put that on that in our lives? Where is that priority? Like this says, in the end time, in the end, 
time keeps passing. You know, if we think that our job is all that we have and that's the most important thing and nothing else matters, time just keeps passing. We can accomplish all there is to to accomplish in our field and time keeps passing. No one remembers. He calls that vanity in these passages. We may try to make a name for ourselves, but one generation passes and another comes. You know, there's a name I could use right now that according to worldly standards, that you should know him. You should know this man. He accomplished a lot of things. He did all the right things. He won all the popularity contests. He was very much in the public eye. He was a politician, so legacy was very important to him. He was a senator for 42 years, and he just died last week. Maybe some of you saw it in the news. Maybe you didn't. Maybe when I say his name, you don't even know who he is. But according to worldly standards, you should know him because he had all of those accomplishments. He stayed up there. He won those contests, those elections. He's somebody you should know. Time keeps passing. That was the late senator from Utah, Orrin Hatch. I don't know what your feelings of him is. I don't know that I have many. But I know he accomplished a lot. He did a lot of things that I could never do. He had a a very impressive life. Time keeps passing. Maybe half of you here know who he was. Maybe you don't. Time keeps passing. In Psalms 39 and verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Does that sound like something that, that your job means everything there is to you? What this states is, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Is that because we just don't matter? No. It's not because we just don't matter. It's just that our best state, the best things that we accomplish, in the greater scheme, they just don't mean a whole lot. Because time keeps passing. You know, all his projects, his plans, his schemes soon come to an end. And he shortly passes both from the sight and remembrance of men. That's what those things hold. And when we put that into perspective, it makes sense that God is the only thing that can truly fulfill our lives. In Ecclesiastes 1, verse 11, it says, There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. You know, there's no remembrance of any of it. There's really not. The things we strive for and worry about and kill ourselves to accomplish end up like everything else just forgotten. And what does it say about the anxiety we create for ourselves? Do we have any teachings on that? In Psalms 127 and verse 2, it says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. We spend a lot of time and worry on a lot of different things in this life. And it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's worthless. Because God is what makes a difference in our lives. It leads to nothing and it accomplishes nothing. 
Following verse 11, the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon then turns to his wisdom, something that God gave him. And he had something just as he asked of God. And he had some thoughts on wisdom too. In Ecclesiastes 16, or Ecclesiastes 1, 16 through 18, it says, I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart and great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I don't think that's a verse in him being ungrateful for what God gave him. I really don't believe that. But what he's looking at and what he's understanding is through that knowledge he realizes everything in this world is vanity and vexation of spirit. And it caused him great sorrow. You see, he had asked for wisdom in order to lead God's people. But in the end, he grew to understand that all that people were consumed with and all their grievances were for nothing in the broader picture. This caused him much sorrow. And he looked and he couldn't see how, he could see how meaningless the cares and celebrations of this world truly are. There was only one thing that mattered and that was our service to God. That's what he came to realize. And his understanding of how temporal everything around him was and it even stretched to the wealth he possessed. We all know that Solomon was a very wealthy man. I did some lookups, and it, it, everything seemed to agree that his, his wealth was somewhere around $2.1 trillion in today's terms. $2.1 trillion. By comparison, the richest today would be Elon Musk with about $252 billion. The, greatest, the, the richest guy in the world currently is at $252 billion. He was $2.1 trillion. You think this man knew what wealth was? You think he knew what wealth could do for him in this life? Yet he came to understand it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. This is what Solomon had to say about his wealth in the end. In Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 11 it says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold... All was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. It was all worthless. 2.1 trillion, and it's worthless. How can that be? Everything in this world tells us, get what you can get. Get as much as you can, because that's what's going to fulfill you. 2.1 trillion dollars. Vanity. It's all vanity. He had gold and palaces and houses and vineyards and orchards and every self-indulgence imaginable. And his description of these things, once again, was vanity and vexation of spirit. That is unbelievable in today's terms. That is not something you're going to hear in society. That something like that would be in any way undesirable or unfulfilling. He said, it's vanity. These things are temporal in nature, and through the wisdom he possessed, he knew that all of it was empty. And that's the problem with these things. Long term, they can't deliver on the promise of a contented and full life. They can't do it. 
God didn't design them that way. He designed our hearts to long for him. And we have to look to him if we want to be fulfilled. In James 5, verses 1 through 3, it says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. That is a pitiful picture, isn't it? Pitiful. That these people put all of their hopes and their dreams into this stuff. And it amounted to nothing. And his description of these things was once again vanity and vexation. So why are things people seem to want the most so useless in the end? That, that's really the question. If what I'm telling you this morning is right, then how come everything that we're told will fulfill us in the end doesn't do that? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. But three that came to my mind, because temp it's temporary and could potentially end in an instant. We could lose everything in an instant. You think there aren't people sitting in Ukraine that used to have pretty good lives sitting with nothing now? War took it. And it ain't coming back. You think it couldn't happen to us? You know, in 2012, J.P. Morgan Chase lost $6.5 billion due to a copy-paste error in Microsoft Excel. In simpler terms, somebody copied a number wrong and they lost $6.5 billion. Just like that. You know, we live in a country where you can lose your family. You can lose everything that matters. But you can't lose money. That's something you don't do in this country is lose money. They lost six and a half billion in an instant. You know, we also at times place too much emphasis on the, stiff, on the physical stature of possessions. The, the Titanic was thought to be unsinkable. We know how that ended. Unsinkable. People dead because they put too much on that. You know, when you think about driving down a curvy road down a mountain, brakes become pretty important, don't they? We put our lives in the hands of possessions every single day. And I'm not saying that we can avoid that altogether. But what I am saying is we put a lot of trust in these things. And they can set us up for failure. And we probably all know someone that had an accident of some kind from a faulty thing, that a small thing that ended up costing someone their life. They're physical. And they can fail on us. You know, fads come and go. It's another thing. We see fads come and go. And people want these things. And everybody wants certain things and it's not too long where nobody wants them anymore why is that the theory of symbolic interactionism I don't know if there's any truth to this it's a theory makes sense to me it's, it's along the same lines of things I've heard in the past a theory that explains people's actions as being directed by shared meanings and assumptions 
Fads are spread because people attach meaning and emotion to objects and not because the object has practical use. That sounds pretty accurate to me. You know, I think back a few years, fidget spinners. Kids had to have fidget spinners, you know, these things that they, they held in their hand and they spun. You might spend $15, $20, $25 on one of these things. I was standing at a gas station the other day. You get one for 50 cents. Why? There's no practical use. They placed emotions on that. Everybody had to have one. My friend had one, so I've got to have one. We see it every day. Things come and things go. And so when we think about these physical things, these are just some ideas of why they're not fulfilling to us. They can't meet the hype that our society builds them up to. And anytime we try to replace God in our lives, we'll end up feeling empty and lost. In Mark 4 and 19, it says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entered in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. We know that is the parable of the sower, don't we? We recognize that. We've seen that. We've talked about that. It's been preached within this church. The parable of the sower. You know, the people described here are the ones who the word was sown among thorns. And as all these other things took more importance in their lives, God was choked out. Choked out. And what was it? The deceitfulness of riches. Not riches themselves. Riches of them in riches in themselves are not deceitful. But the deceitfulness of riches. You know, if we use properly, we need a lot of those things, don't we? We have to have those things. But when we look at the deceitfulness of these things and think that they can somehow fulfill us, that's when we run into problems. We need all these things even to run the church. We need men that have wisdom and knowledge. We need wealth to a certain extent to fund the things. I like, I like having a building to come to. That costs money. That takes wealth. I like having people that can give us direction on what we should do. That takes men with wisdom and knowledge. We need these things, and they need to have their place. It's when these things lose the proper priority in our lives that God loses his proper place with us. And this is what the knowledge of Solomon led him to understand. If we take these things and think that they're the answer to all of life's problems, then we're sorely mistaken. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because we want something to fulfill our lives that's not given its proper priority. You know, I saw an interview once with one of the early software engineers that created Facebook. And I, I think I probably talked about this before. And he, he explained at the time, he, they had no idea what it was they were creating. They were just writing some software. Didn't know there were going to be billions of people using this stuff. And he was very critical about uh, what he had what it had become. Um, excuse me, I lost my place. Yeah, he was very critical about what it all had become and how they used consumers to drive usage. 
the sale of products and how they manipulated people to do things that they wanted them to do. He was very critical about that, you know, and this is one of the, one of the original guys that wrote this stuff. And so then finally the person that interviewed him finally asked him, said, well, what's the answer in dealing with these things if that's the case? And he was very decisive on that. He said, use the product. Don't let the product use you. And I think that's really the answer in all of this. After that, he went on to explain some precautions you could use and things like that. But his direct message was, use the product. Don't let the product use you. And I think that goes along with what we're talking about this morning. These things can enhance our lives. I'm not going to tell you they won't. I mean, we can do some things with the stuff we're talking about. But it's got to have that correct priority. In this, the, the same answer the guy gave here, Solomon gave something along those same lines in the book of, Saul, of Psalms. In Psalm 119, verses 36 and 37, it says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetous, covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. You know, he didn't say, take away all of these things, did he? God gave him those things for a reason. They had a purpose, and he was to use those things. So he didn't say, take them away. He said, incline my heart and turn my eyes away from these vain things. And that's really the answer. And that goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. This is not a chance for us to be ungrateful for the things we've got. It's a time to look at the priority they have in our lives. And understand that if we're looking to some, for something in this life that we just think is going to be the be-all and end-all and make our lives so much better, we may be looking in the wrong place. So am I telling you to stop doing all the things we do to live and provide for our families in this life? No. What I'm telling you is this isn't our home. And no matter how hard we try to make it our home, it's not our home. We look to something better. And we should look to something better. There should be something better than this for us. Because God's promised it to us. Don't fall into the disappointment that this life has for you by chasing and trusting these things that can't deliver the promise of fulfillment. They can't do it. They weren't designed to do it. Remember, give them the priority that they have. Seek something better, an eternal home, and one that can't be taken or corrupted. Look for that, because that's what's going to fulfill you in your life. Put God first, and strive for that reward that he's promised us all. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon podcast. If you would like more information, or have questions about what you have heard, email us at cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com, or look us up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Wheeler Area CFC.